0: Good morning, Memphis. It is another beautiful day in the Mid-South and I am so glad that you are here spending some of your Saturday morning with me. I'm Sana, and you're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. Every Saturday morning, I'm joined by experts from across the country who are investigating our most pressing social issues and common curiosities. Over the next hour, we'll learn about their motivations, inspirations, and of course, what they know about the world around us. So go ahead and grab a cup of coffee and get ready for a fun and insightful conversation. So this is a month of many celebrations for some it's you know the start of the new year for others the swearing in of a new administration maybe the possibilities of receiving a COVID vaccine or even maybe this was the first week of sticking to those new year resolutions. But there is something else happening this month and in fact every January. This is the month that five of the divine nine or historically black Greek letter sororities and fraternities were founded. So you might remember VP nominee Kamala Harris referencing her sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha, at the Democratic National Convention. But you may have been wondering, okay, so what's the big deal about, you know, being in a sorority? Isn't Greek life just, you know, something you do in college for fun? Well, to answer this question and much more, joining me today is Aisha Upton. Aisha Upton is a PhD candidate at the University of Minnesota, Her research focuses on race and gender, social movements, organizations, and civil society and civic participation. For example, she's examined how Black Greek letter organizations, sororities, responded to the Black feminist movement. In addition, Aisha addresses Black civic engagement in areas like Twitter and the Black Lives Matter movement. Welcome, Aisha. How are you? I'm great. Yes, I'm so excited to have you here with us today. I hope you have had a happy new year so far. Yeah, things have been good. I'm happy to be here. Great. Well, I am looking forward to this conversation today about Black Greek letter organizations and civil society and civic participation. So first, let's just start with some basic information about Black Greek letter organizations, because I think folks are probably familiar or have some idea in their mind about what Greek life is, right, about fraternities and sororities in general. Um, But what is special or maybe different from perhaps that stereotypical imagery of Greek life that we may know when it comes to Black Greek letter organizations?
1: Uh, Yeah, definitely. So I think the best way to answer that question is to really talk about like the history of Black Greek letter organizations. Um, So we're thinking about these organizations that are started by college students, like Black college students at a time when Black people going to college was like extremely rare. Mm -hmm. Um, And so starting with that, like these like these people are creating these organizations to meet like their own culturally specific needs as black people, Mm -hmm. you know, during Jim Crow segregation. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, moving another thing that makes them different is that they go beyond just like the college level. Mm-hmm. So these organizations very quickly move from being undergraduate organizations to being international organizations within like their first 50 years. Mm-hmm. Like we start to see international chapters like Zeta Phi Beta started a uh, international chapter in Liberia. And then we start to see these organizations just continue to go across the globe. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, seeing like this movement into these international organizations is one of the things that separates them from what we typically think about when we think about Greek life, Mm -hmm. Um, but another thing that separates them is this whole entire, like, alumni level, and so when we're thinking about people, normally, normally people would join a a fraternity or sorority, and then they leave undergrad, and that's it, right, Mm -hmm. Right. but with Black Greek letter organizations, like, people are leaving undergrad, and they're going into graduate or alumni level chapters, where Mm -hmm. they continue to do service, and, you know, the um, expectation is doing service for the rest of your life, Mm -hmm. Um, So this really requires like a lifetime commitment. And so that is really like those two things are really like the largest uh, things that separate Black Greek letter organizations from like our typical ideas about
0: Greek life. Mm -hmm. And then just kind of, can you put a timeline on when we see Black Greek letter organizations first, you know, being founded?
1: Yes, definitely. Um, so most of the Black Greek letter organization fraternities and sororities began in the early 20th century. Mm-hmm. Um, Alpha Phi Alpha was founded in 1906. We have AK, Alpha Kappa Alpha. In 1908, we have Omega Psi Phi and Kappa Alpha Psi in 2000, ooh, 1911. <laughs> I'm thinking <laughs> 2000. Um, and then we have Delta Sigma Theta in 1913, Phi Beta Sigma 1914, Zeta Phi Beta, 1920, uh, and Sigma Gamma Rho, 1922. And then if we go way ahead, we have (laughs) Iota Phi, that sounded so shady. We have Iota Phi Theta in 1963. Sorry, NNL, that was not supposed to be
0: like shady. Um, It was just way, yeah, okay. (laughs) So we see these organizations, as you mentioned, for the most part being founded, as you mentioned, during times when Black people were very much excluded from higher education um, and creating organizations, as you said, to really attend to their specific needs on campus and also their interests. So can you talk about um, some of those early motivations and what were some of the maybe activities um, that these organizations were involved in?
1: Yeah, definitely. So when we see like these organizations first begin to exist when they first like start, um, in the early 20th century, these organizations are doing what we would typically think about being fraternal and sororal activities. So we're thinking about on campus activities, you know, very mm-hmm basic sort of things, right? Like mm-hmm. just engagement on campus mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, and so we start to see like these organizations like branching out too like beyond just doing like teas, which off mm-hmm. cap alpha is you know known for, which is, you know, the T. Mm-hmm. Uh, beyond just doing tea, it's like engaging with like social movements. So like Delta Sigma Theta began being active with like the suffrage movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we see like these organizations like really being like tapped into like the community. Mm-hmm. and like the things that are going on in the community and they're really like engaging with the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we see like Alpha Alpha, like, you know, engaging directly with things like the beginning of the NAACP, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so these were,
0: yeah. So, yeah, so I'm hearing you. So it was definitely a social component, right? Some of of that, but also beyond kind of that social aspect, really being rooted in the issues of the day for these organizations. Mm -hmm. Um, I know you mentioned Delta Sigma Theta and involvement in the suffrage movement. And I'm wondering if you could speak more about that, because oftentimes we think about suffrage, we think about white women's organizations or white women organizing for the suffrage movement, but Black women involvement is often pushed aside. We saw more attention given, right, to that history, of course, last year uh, with the anniversary of the suffrage movement and women's right uh, to vote, but could you talk a little bit more about the involvement of Black Greek letter organizations um, in that social movement? Yeah, definitely. I'm
1: actually, I'm glad that you asked. Um, So, Black women were definitely involved in the suffrage movement, like 110%. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do typically only hear about white women in the suffrage movement. And that's because of racism, basically. Like when we think about everybody's favorite suffragettes, just pick one, whoever it mm-hmm. is. Um, most of them were racist. Like even like when we think about like the initial like suffrage parade, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When we think about that suffrage parade, like black women were asked to march in the back of that parade. And like, these are like, you know, key figures, like people like, you know, Ida B. Wells and like Mary Church Terrell from like the National Association of Colored Women. And then of course, members of Delta Sigma Theta were asked to march in the back of the suffrage parade. Um, So I think that's part of the reason like we don't, we aren't hearing about Black women, but Black women were very active. I mean, even people like we're not even thinking about people like Harriet Tubman, like Harriet Tubman was like a serious suffragette. Um. So yeah, so Black women were very active. We're just not hearing about them because of, well, just basically racism.
0: <laughs> yes, and, we're, and you're talking about the creation of these organizations, obviously part of that is combating racism, not just here in this example of voting and women's rights, but in other areas of life as well. Um. So I wanna to touch on something you mentioned as you were talking about some distinguishing factors of these organizations versus what we kind of typically think about as just kind of fun party, you know, college life, which is one that international component. So we're seeing not just a domestic focus, but an international focus. Um, So thinking about how struggles of black people here in the US might be connected to struggles worldwide. Um, but then also thinking about that component of alumni membership, right? Or membership that extends past the undergraduate experience. Can you speak more to the importance of that and what that really means for members? Yes, definitely. Um, So first to talk about like this
1: international component is that um, like one of the largest parts about the international component is actually connecting to like the black experience internationally. So we see organizations like Alpha Cap Alpha taking part in things like AfriCare. Mm -hmm. And then we see like Delta Sigma Theta, like they began a maternity ward um, in East Africa. Um, And so, you know, these women are like taking like women's issues, right? And then looking at that internationally.
0: Um, And then as far as So the next question was, what makes the- Thinking about um, the alumni component of these organizations. Um, What does that really mean for members and why is that important? Like what could these organizations just exist if it were, you know, undergraduates being committed to some sort of volunteerism or what does that alumni component really do for these organizations? Yeah, definitely. So I think that the alumni component is really like
1: the heart of these organizations. I know a lot of times, like when we're thinking about fraternities and sororities, like we're thinking just undergrads, right? Mm -hmm. But these organizations have a long life and they are international because of graduate chapters. So Mm -hmm. international chapters are graduate chapters. And a lot of these organizations, like you won't find undergraduate chapters internationally. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, we also have like, you know, graduate chapters are the parts of the organization that push the organization forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and they continue, they keep this idea of lifelong membership going, right? Because mm-hmm. there has to be something next. And in order for there to be something next, the people who were there before have to continue to be there and do the work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so the whole idea of a lifelong commitment is really important. I think that that's like
0: maintained through having graduate chapters of the organization. Mm -hmm. I think we really saw that with Kamala Harris, right, with her, you know, of course, kind of shouting out, giving a nod to not only her own sorority sisters, but the Divine Nine organizations kind of overall, um, which I think you wouldn't see a member of a white sorority or fraternity kind of shouting out right there, um, their fellow fraternity or sorority members in that same way or have that same response from people. Um, but also thinking about that kind of great level of pride that obviously she had and there's been so much attention to who she was in undergrad as a member and then how that then played out in her professional life, right? Even before becoming, you know, VP nominee, but her commitment to community work in a lot of different ways throughout her life. So for members of Black Greek letter organizations um, do you see that kind of community commitment playing out, not just in their organizational membership, but also in their own professional lives to that same degree?
1: Yes, definitely, definitely. Um, I think that when we think about like Black professional people, a lot of Black professional people are members of Black Greek letter organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of that could also be just the fact that they are Black people who have going to college. Mm-hmm. um but we see a lot of people in these larger powerful um, uh, you know positions people like Loretta Lynch right mm-hmm. um being members of black fraternities and sororities um so yeah so you see it a lot in like their actual yeah
0: trajectory in their career trajectories yes <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Now, as we're thinking about the kind of role of Black Greek letter organizations, I know you mentioned uh, with kind of the suffrage movement as being kind of one big piece of that or something that we can look to historically, but you also mentioned the creation of the NAACP. Could you talk a little bit more about Black Greek letter organizations or even members and their role in the NAACP? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think
1: that everybody's favorite member of Alpha Phi Alpha is probably W.E.V. Du Bois. Um, and so, yeah, thinking about like the Niagara Movement, like the beginning of like Alpha Phi Alpha, and then also like the other Black fraternities and sororities are directly engaged with the NAACP. Mm-hmm. Like we see them throughout history and even today, of course, like working hand in hand with the NAACP um so there's a long relationship between them and the NAACP as well as like other black organizations like the National Urban League um and like the SCLC like we see these organizations like working
0: hand in hand with these other black organizations Mm-hmm, absolutely. And you mentioned some of these more contemporary or ongoing into the contemporary moment, I, w- I should say, connections as well. So what have been some of the ways we've seen Black Greek letter organizations involved in contemporary social justice issues? Yes, definitely. Definitely. I have so much to
1: say about this. Um, So <laughs> let me try to get my thoughts together. Okay. So the ways that we've seen black fraternities and sororities contemporarily um happens a lot within social movements and i think we're going to talk about that late later at some point um but yeah so thinking about like black newsletter organizations and social movements right like even Well, I guess probably a good point to take it, let's take it back a little bit to like the civil rights movement. Like we see like black fraternities and sororities like being extremely active in the civil rights movement, like starting things like the American Council on Human Rights and, you know, really pushing for legislature as well as pushing for, you know, the end of segregation and pushing for integration, right, actively. Like a large part of what they did was that they push for the defunding of schools that would not integrate. Um, And so, yeah, we see these organizations like active within social movements, like this just continues throughout time, right? Mm -hmm. And so we see them active um, to a certain extent with Black Lives Matter. Um, And, you know, we see them, you know, just taking part in just basic like everyday, like community service that translates into activism.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. Absolutely, and so you mentioned um, a little bit about more contemporary connections, so I just want to kind of talk about that just for a brief moment at least. Um, How do we see Black Greek letter organizations involved in kind of this contemporary movement for Black lives? Yes, okay, so we see a
1: varied uh, response to the Black Lives Matter movement um we see that some organizations are engaging directly with black lives matter um and other organizations have shied away from black lives matter in a way that's very important like it's important like we have the conversation um but so like we see this difference so like one so there's a dissension among Mm. these organizations about how to deal with radical movements Mm. especially black radical movements like how are we going to engage with these radical movements that are happening. And like what like what is like a good form of protest, which is like mm-hmm. one of the largest things that comes up for these organizations, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's violent protest, but like this is like the good protest. <laughs> um that's that's exactly what it is, right? Um, and so so yeah, so we see these organizations like, say, for example, like we see like in 2020, like all of the NPHC fraternities, which National pan Council, which is the umbrella organization over black fraternities and sororities. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see the NPHC fraternities issuing a statement, you know, condemning violence against black people, particularly police brutality,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where we see like sororities really like coming along slowly in this response. And in their responses, we see them condemning, you know, this police brutality, but then saying at the same time, but there are only certain ways we should handle this. Mm. And there are certain ways to handle this don't involve protest. Okay. There are certain ways to handle this involve just voting. So mm-hmm. they're taking a stance that, you know, this is the correct path of through which to do it. So yeah, so it's it's really interesting, like the ways that like they've been interacting.
0: With movements like in this particular moment. Mm-hmm. Do you find that reflective of how these organizations may have engaged with previous movements in their history? So I think that this is a direct
1: uh, reflection of the ways that these organizations have always dealt with radical movements. So we see like the emergence of things like the Black Feminist Movement as well as like the Black Power Movement. And there is again like this dissension among these organizations about how to even deal with this this emerging movement, right? So we see things like Alpha Kappa Alpha in 1969 saying like, you know, we believe in change, but we don't believe in change just for the sake of change. Mm. Like we believe that there are certain types of protests that are good and we do not condone violence, right? Mm -hmm. And like that statement about there are certain types of good protests, and we do not condone violence, specifically the words we do not condone violence are in the exact same statement that they made in 2020 Mm. about the protests that had been happening in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, so this is like, it's, it's directly, it's exactly the same sort of response Mm -hmm. And then we see like some organizations, you know, really engaging with these movements like Delta Sigma Theta, like directly engaged like the black feminist movement. And, you know, there was some sort of like uh, disagreement within the organization about how to deal with the black power movement. But at the end of the day, it like really showed through the fact that like members wanted to take part in the black power movement. Um, And so we had things like the organization like discussing the trial of Angela Davis. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Um and so we see this or, you know some organizations are actively taking part in the civil rights movement I'm sorry not civil the black power movement
0: mm-hmm.
1: um whereas others are shying
0: away and so we see that exact same thing happening today Mm-hmm. And I think from the outside looking in, people might expect or assume that these organizations would all be kind of on the same page or taking, you know, similar approaches. Um, but as you were talking, we see that's definitely, you know, not the case. Um, so I'm wondering, what is it about? each particular organization or the examples that you gave of these two sororities anyways, what is the difference kind of within the organizations that are creating these very different responses um, to these movements, both historically, but then also obviously contemporarily, since we're seeing a lot of those kind of same responses. Yeah, definitely. So
1: historically we see that, so I guess, When we're looking at Alpha Cap Alpha and Delta Sigma Theta, we have to take it back to the uh, the story, right? The the big story. We okay, we don't all know, but you know the big story. Well, tell us the big story.
0: Tell the the listeners. The big story is about where
1: Delta Sigma Theta came from. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Delta Sigma Theta came out of Alpha Cap Alpha. These were members of Alpha Cap Alpha who wanted to change everything about the organization. Mm -hmm. Um, you know name colors motto everything you know a lot of people don't agree about what exactly happened we have a lot of you know mythology and Mm -hmm. folklore happening here um but yeah so anyway yeah so I'm gonna go with the Delta historian Paula Giddings I'm gonna go with her version Mm -hmm. because yeah it just seems the most accurate so basically what happened was um they wanted to change everything the color the motto everything else and one of the, uh, the one of the original founders of Alfcap Alpha Cap Alpha, Nellie Mae Quander, said, nope, we're not gonna do this. We're not changing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so she gave them a timeline for which to change to change what they wanted to do or to leave. Mm-hmm. So they did not change, so they were ousted from mm-hmm. the organization. And, um, you know, then they started Delta Sigma Theta sorority, and they started Delta Sigma Theta sorority under the idea they would be an organization about activism, right? Mm -hmm. And so basically, like they said, like, Alpha Cap Alpha is just a social club. Mm -hmm. Like, we would like to do things like the suffrage movement. Um, And so I think that historically, like, just looking at these two sororities just specifically— that we see that some, we see very subtle differences, or in the case of Alpha Cap and Delta Sigma maybe a little bit more than subtle, um, where we have like a direct focus on activism versus like the opposite mm-hmm. of that. Um, I was feel we're telling the story, you know, as a member of AKA,
0: I was feel like, can I even tell this story? So I was just asking about, you know, why these differences in approaches to some of these uh, social movements exist, right? And so you talking about kind of this history of the founding of in particular Delta Sigma Theta and this direct um, response to what was happening then and seeing more direct responses to what is happening now versus a more, I guess you could say indirect response um, from AKA in some of these larger movements. Which is interesting though, because flash forward to today and
1: delta sigma theta is taking the exact same stance that alpha kappa alpha is taking Mm -hmm. in responding to radical movements so it's there an interesting situation where Mm -hmm. we see them being born out of activism but over time becoming just considerably more conservative in their responses to movements
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, so i think they're like a very interesting example um Mm -hmm. yeah Do you think that that conservatism, because I know you mentioned uh, the strong alumni network, right? Or alumni membership or lifetime membership. And there's this idea that in general, as folks get older, they become a little more conservative. Do you think that conservatism is a reflection of maybe the alumni membership or do you think something else might be happening?
1: I feel like, um, this is coming from, um, I feel like it's, I don't know if it's necessarily coming from the fact that there are older people in the sorority, because thinking about like now, today, those people would have been the more radical people during the 1970s, right? Mm -hmm. And so we're thinking about them being that younger base, and then just them can, you know, continuously becoming like more conservative. Like, I don't know if that's like, like, I don't know if it's possible. Like, I mean, is it possible to become that conser- I mean, I guess you could, but I feel like a part of the conservatism of these uh, organizations has to do with them becoming businesses, mm. right? And these organizations becoming more than just fraternities and sororities. Like these organizations like have sponsorships by things like Kellogg's, right? And so when you're sponsored by Kellogg's, like, do you want people out in the street, you know, protesting? You know what I mean? Like, do you want people being arrested in their letters? No, you probably don't want to see that. Like um, the one of the presidents of one of the sororities, I want to say Sigma Gamma Rho, but it could have been Zeta Phi Beta. Um, One of them said it's a liability issue, right? Mm -hmm. It's a liability issue for their members to be seen out doing something because it does threaten them directly as organizations now at this point. Um, So I really do think it's about like these, the change of these organizations over time and Mm -hmm. not so much about the
0: members in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like some of the similar issues we see with grassroots organizations, kind of in general, grassroots organizations that are created in response to some sort of injustice or you know inequality, and once they become kind of this formalized, um, bureaucratic right institution, um, we see a lot of those risks right being eliminated. Like you said, it is a liability now, and even using that language of liability. Um, Really speaking to how this has changed from kind of this um, inspired, maybe grassroots, in the streets type of organization to something that is happening, you know, behind closed doors or behind, you know, business licenses or insurance policies or, like you said, corporate sponsorships. So, what do you see as Black Greek letter organizations' um, possibilities for? you know maybe increasing activism or maybe not increasing activism is the right word but more direct action i should say that
1: i think that there are huge possibilities for these organizations um you know to enact social change like these are organizations with some of them over 300,000 members like they have like an immense amount of political power Mm -hmm. And we see that with like Kamala, right? We see that although the members could not directly, there was a whole entire thing about not like directly endorsing Kamala because they didn't want the organization to be seen as endorsing Kamala, whole entire thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But then we see these organizations like really going out and doing the work, right? Like just Mm -hmm. because you can't wear your shield doesn't mean you can't wear pink and green when you go out and, you know, do your canvassing. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, so these organizations have a huge amount of power, like these women really went out there and they were really, really making things happen. Like we're talking about 300,000 people getting together and deciding that they would like to endorse one political candidate because she is their soror Mm -hmm. and they're making things happen. So, I mean, I really think that there is like a huge amount of potential for these organizations. They just have to harness it. And at the end of the day, it comes down to whether or not they're going to harness it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that is like, yeah, they have they can do it. The question is, like, will they do it?
0: When will they do it? And how will they do it? Right. Mm hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's such a great question and obviously something that maybe we'll see um, continuing to evolve over these next few years, especially with um, VP Harris, right, in the White House. So we might even see more engagement from um, Black Greek letters, sorority and fraternity members in particular, right, Um, and seeing that, you know, pathway into the White House, right, Um, and really rallying around a candidate and also issues specific to um, black people and you know racism in this country so there's a lot for us to look forward to over you know over the next few years um, well let's take a break and then when we come back i'd like to talk more about just ideas of volunteerism and social change as well so you're listening to let's grab coffee on wyxr 91.7 fm all right, this is Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm here I'm here with Aisha Upton, a sociologist whose work focuses on social movements and civic participation. Um, so before the break, I was just mentioning how so much of what you're talking about is really talking about um, community involvement, obviously, and this idea of volunteerism um, and of course, social change. So when we're thinking about these, things i mean in the examples you've given about of course talking about black greek life we're thinking about people you know in the streets right rallying for change doing something right using their voice Uh, but there are a lot of different ways that someone might volunteer and be involved in you know making a difference can you speak more to this broader idea of volunteerism and you know what it is and who's doing it
1: yeah definitely um so volunteering is about, so we think about what it means to volunteer. Being a volunteer is engaging directly with your community for what's considered the common good, right? Mm -hmm. So what is for the best of your community? So when we think about Black people and volunteering specifically, we typically are thinking about Black people coming out of the Black church because the Black church is such a, you know, important institution Mm -hmm. uh, for civic participation as well as like social action. And uh, you know, black people really getting out in their communities and doing work, right? So volunteering could mean anything as small as helping out your neighbor to actual like political movement, right um, And so so yeah, so these are, yeah, volunteering fits within all of that. like it can be small things, it can be big things. Um, But it really is just about the ways like you get out into your community and you go about making change for what you view as being like the common good. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So as I'm hearing you talk, it sounds like, you know, on one hand we have, um, you know, doing something for the common good, which might be helping a neighbor in our community. Um, But then we have these more organized efforts of volunteering, which I think is kind of how folks often think about what it means to volunteer. Like I signed up <laughs> to do this thing with this organization versus, oh, I help my neighbor or I go get their groceries for them. Or when it snows, I, you know, just, uh, Look, I don't even know the right words for snow. Um, because we don't get in here. But shovel, that's what I was looking for. Shovel their their driveway or ice there sidewalk. And we often don't think about those forms as you know, this big word volunteering, right? We just think of it as maybe things we should do, things that are, you know, nice for us to do for our for our neighbors, right? Um, so I'm wondering, you know, especially now with COVID still very much, you know changing and shaping everything that we do and affecting us. I'm wondering how much um, or are people thinking about volunteering differently or maybe even getting involved in volunteering in some of those ways that you know aren't I'm part of an organization per se but I'm still doing something to help my community. What does your research tell us about that? Yeah so I
1: think that with the emergence of COVID and with the pandemic uh, volunteering does look different because Mm -hmm. You can't necessarily, well, you can join an organization and go out and do things like a midnight sandwich run, right? Mm -hmm. I have some friends, they get together and they make all these sandwiches, like hundreds of sandwiches, and then they take them and they give them out to people, right? A midnight Mm -hmm. sandwich run. Um, Like you can still do that, but COVID makes it a lot more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's more difficult to organize in large groups to do volunteering. So I think that what we see now a lot is like more individual volunteering and a, mm-hmm. it leans a little bit closer to um philanthropy
0: mm-hmm.
1: um than just like you know, boots on the ground volunteering. Now it's like you can donate to such and such, which right. is becoming more of a thing. But you do still pe- see people doing like good things, like good deeds for people, right? Um and I think that you know that's important especially right now um, because so many people are struggling.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. So yeah, I think that it just looks different now, mm-hmm. but I
0: overall the intent for the common good is the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love this idea of thinking about what is the common good, right, and according to whom? Uh, because I know you mentioned. You know, volunteering is, you know, working towards the common good, but we often have differing ideas about what that common good is, or even who's included in the common part um, for the common good. So I'm I'm also really curious to know how does volunteering maybe reshape what we think about the common good or even our communities? Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, so I think that, um, when we think about the common good or like who's common good, right. It's one of the things that we see varying from community to community. Right. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is about things like class. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that when we think about the common good in that way, um, we are, you know, thinking about what's going to be best for everybody that I know. Right. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily what's going to be good for, you know, we might think what's going to be good for the world, but at the end of the day, when we're thinking about our community, we're thinking what's going to be good for my very specific community. And some people go out and say, what's going to be good for other people's communities. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, you know, when we think about like volunteering, um, today, especially, um, with COVID, I think a lot of people are thinking beyond just like their own community and people are thinking, what's going to be good for the world, right? Like, what mm-hmm. How? What can we do to heal the world? That sounds so generic. Um, but I think that it really is like, I, I think that people, like the common good, like what people think is the common good, people are really starting
0: to come together,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Um yeah, I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love this idea of really expanding the idea of what the, what community looks like. Um especially in light of the pandemic, we see exactly how connected we are in a global way, even though we may have, you know, known it, we may not have been really thinking about it to the extent that we are now when we see especially so many people, you know, suffering around the world and those shared experiences of kind of having, you know, normalcy just come to a halt. Um, so really opening up what we think of as our community from, you know, just people in our maybe neighborhood or that we like, but people, you know, actually around the world and what it might look like to contribute to some sort of betterment for everyone. Um, I'm thinking too about in terms of volunteering, what are some ways that we can actually be involved to create community or be involved to really contribute to the wellness of our community in this kind of current state of affairs?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I think that ways that you can be active include, I think that things that the ways that you can be active um include just at uh, the word right now of the day is pivoting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just to pivot the way that you will go about volunteering, right? Like you can't, you know, have like as much face-to-face contact with people as you like, but you can still go do meals on wheels if you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can still, you know, you could still do a midnight sandwich run if you wanted to. Um, it's just about pivoting the way that like, you're going to go about doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know some people like, do like their volunteer work, like contributing to this common good through doing things like giving blood. You can still give blood. I'm giving blood on Saturday. Mm -hmm. You gotta, you know, do what you gotta do. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, so I mean, there are all types of different ways to contribute to the common good uh, right now. It just requires like, you know, the pivoting basically. Like you can't like get together in like a large group but you can still as an individual do things. And that actually makes me think about, um, uh, it makes me think about um, whether or not people are actually still even joining organizations to do Mm -hmm. uh, volunteer work. Mm -hmm. Um, This guy R.D. Putnam guy, this scholar R.D. Putnam wrote this book uh, called Bowling Alone. And like he says that, you know, civic participation has just dropped off since 1960s because people aren't like in bowling leagues anymore (laughs) just like a whole entire thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so the real question is whether or not volunteering just looks different. And Mm -hmm. I think it looks different now and it especially looks different now with COVID. So, you know, before it's like, we're just joining, you know, smaller organizations or maybe you can just do things without being affiliated with an organization. And now, because of COVID, you definitely are doing things without being affiliated with the organization. So you might, like, I saw this really feel-good story about this kid who just went around and he's collected all this dog food Mm -hmm. to, like, drop off at, like, a local animal shelter. Like, that is volunteering. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, it's an individual act, but, like, it contributes to the common good. Um, So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I love that idea of just rethinking what volunteering looks like. Um, It's still happening and it's obviously still very important, but it may not look like what we thought it should or what it has in the past, but we can still contribute. To the common good um, for our community and even our global community as well. So I think that's really uh, good news for people that you can still do something to help out. And I'm wondering what are the benefits of volunteering? I mean, we know some of the kind of practical benefits, right? So like that example of the feel-good story. You know, now we know that you know the dogs have you know food at the <laughs> shelter. Um, but what are some of those benefits to the individuals who are volunteering? Or are there any benefits for those who do volunteer? Yeah, definitely.
1: There are significant benefits to people who volunteer. I mean, of course you walk away with like the warm fuzzies, like you feel good, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But you know it Also like volunteering is good for your health. Like Mm -hmm. people tend to be healthier who volunteer. Um, People who volunteer have better relationships. They have a lot more social capital. Mm-hmm. Um, you actually grow social capital through volunteering. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so we see people, you know, getting a lot out of volunteering beyond just feeling good. And also like your community becomes better. Right. So it's beyond just like, I feel good as a person to, I feel good in my community because things have changed. Right. Mm-hmm. So if people go out into my community or if I go out into my community and let's say I just pick up trash, right. hmm it not only improves my own feelings, because I did a good thing, but it has improved my overall surroundings, right? Mm -hmm. And then it improves my health, right? Because now you're not just, you know, running around trash everywhere. And, you know, it, it overall just is a huge improvement for people's lives, Mm -hmm. just overall. And so I think that volunteering is just pretty good, just all around. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I love these compounding effects of volunteering, right? So kind of the initial effects, positive impacts for yourself, but even those um of positive effects that build on one another, both for yourself and then for the community that you live in. I think it's so important, especially now uh, when we think about our own mental health and volunteering really sounds like one way for us to kind of get a boost to our mental health, especially when we're feeling maybe like we're very disconnected or that so much is happening that it can feel very overwhelming, that feeling of where do I even start? Um, So I love this idea of volunteering however you can, where you can, where you currently are, um, and thinking about the, the many, many positive effects of being involved in your community. So let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, I'd actually like to hear more about this idea of how we can create social change and thinking about some of your work um, in sororities and fraternities as well. So you're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. And we're back on Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sana, and I'm here with Aisha Upton. And we've been talking about kind of these broader conversations around Black, Greek, life, um, about volunteerism, and also about the potential for social change. And I want to kind of bring it bring it back to kind of where we started in the beginning, thinking about uh, Black Greek letter organizations and their impact on social change. Um, and I'm wondering if you can talk more about Um, some of kind of like the key areas where we've seen Black Greek letter organizations really changing society, not just thinking about Black community, but um, in general for the public good or common good, as we talked about um, before the break as well. Yeah, definitely. So we
1: see these organizations, you know, being active in their very specific communities, thinking about like, you know, developing and like you know contributing to your community we see these organizations like directly influencing their own communities um and so we see it going beyond just like you know the black community right of course like you know black organizations are active in the black community but even in places where we see like that there is not really a black community places like rural Appalachia right Mm -hmm. so say for example I went to Ohio University and we're in Athens Ohio there are not that many black people but we still did community service Mm -hmm. and so in that way we're you know you're contributing to your community for the common good in that way beyond just you you know the black community you're contributing where you are right Mm -hmm. and you're doing good for where you are Um, And so I think that, you know, with there being so many members of these organizations and so many chapters of these organizations that there is just, there's this potential and there's overall just kind of a movement of people doing good within the just overall like world community. Um, Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And I know you mentioned earlier some examples of, international chapters of the various organizations. So again, thinking about this expansion of who is our community, right? Where are they? And thinking about this global community that we're all a part of. Um, And I'm wondering if you could talk more about some of these global connections. I know you had mentioned a couple examples, um, but even today, thinking about during COVID, um, does that volunteerism, is that looking different, right? What does it look like on the global scale during you know a pandemic yeah
1: definitely so on the global scale right now during the pandemic one of the things that we are seeing is less direct service so I guess that goes back to what I was talking about how it's somewhat leaning towards philanthropy. Mm -hmm. Like these organizations are leaning back on like this idea of like their philanthropic efforts. So -hmm. like, how do we raise money for this very specific cause, right? Mm -hmm. Like how do we raise money for our food bank, right? When we can't go in person to our food bank. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's how do we go about, they're pivoting, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They're going out and they're finding a new way to do the thing they would have done previously that they can't do. Um so yeah so and we see it at the global scale too like these organizations are continuing like their international programs that they always have right mm-hmm. like these organizations are still very active in places like Liberia and like East Africa and like they're still you know fighting for the end of you know child hunger in East Africa Mm -hmm. um so yeah these organizations are still doing the same thing they just have to change the way that they're approaching it the same way that we all have to change the way we're approaching volunteering
0: Mm -hmm. absolutely definitely so many changes as you mentioned you know keyword pivoting um that has so much pivoting that has to happen both on the individual level but even as organizations are rethinking how they can make the most impact um I was just reminded of something that you touched on earlier. i um, thinking about the kind of maybe gender differences in the approach to you know, what we're seeing now in the contemporary movement for Black lives. And I know that a lot of your work is about how we see uh, gender differences in the responses and within these organizations. And so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more of the importance or what the significance might be um, of these kind of splits along sororities and fraternities in their response to some of these social movements and what that might mean for actually bringing about social change.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so thinking about like the splits between these organizations and social change is that I think that it makes it a lot more difficult for these organizations to actually harness their political power. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that if only the five fraternities are, you know, getting together, actually it was only four of them. Cause I don't think that I Okay. Um, if if only the fraternities get together and they say, we're gonna do this thing, right? Mm -hmm. That's only so many people, so many hundreds of thousands of people. It sounds like, okay, there could be so many more hundreds of thousands of people had everybody been together, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and you know, if everybody got together the same way that everybody got together around the civil rights movement, then Mm -hmm. we could see a lot more change today because like the huge, um, you know, the huge amount of political power these organizations have, we could see change differently um if they could all come together around how they're gonna approach uh the issue right Mm -hmm. how they're gonna approach the black lives matter movement or how they're gonna approach like police brutality um or just like urban uprising like how are they going to you know how are they going to deal with these things and i think we would i think that we would see things differently if everybody could get on on
0: the same page Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you see as some of those main barriers for, in this case, Black Greek letters, sororities, and fraternities in getting on the same page for some of these issues? Yeah. So I
1: think that, um, I think that a part of the issue is about taking it back to the whole idea about liability, right? Mm -hmm. And what organizations individually feel like they have to lose, right? Like, is it that you might lose your sponsorship with Kellogg's, right? Or is it just that people will view you unfavorably? Mm -hmm. Um, And so these organizations, like their leadership has to negotiate about what is going to be the best move for their organization in order to continue their organization's life. Because at this point, you know, these organizations have existed for so long. And one of the things that they want to do is continue to exist. Mm -hmm. So the question becomes like, not only like, how do we continue to exist, but how do we continue to exist with our sponsorships? And how do Mm -hmm. we continue to recruit members who want to be a part of this organization? And so it really is about like, you know, maintaining like their life, right? Mm -hmm. And so organizations are forced to decide whether or not they would like to Take a risk, right? Mm -hmm. Like what happens if like one of your members is seen being, you know, arrested, like 2014, a member of Delta Sigma Theta was seen being arrested at a Black Lives Matter protest. Mm -hmm. Like what happens with that? Like, will people not want to join your organization
0: anymore? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, will you lose your corporate sponsorships? Um, So, you know, when you mentioned that thinking about is it a liability issue or what happens if we see one of our members, you know, being arrested when they're wearing paraphernalia for organization, it just makes me think of a common misconception around Greek life as being kind of like educated gangs. And how that kind of spin becomes easier um, to apply when you see people getting arrested, which typically is thought of as you did something wrong, right? Whether or not that's true, that's still the way it's usually spun. And so I'm wondering, you know, too, how much does that kind of play into um, organizations' hesitancy to being explicitly um, in support of, for example, Black Lives Matter movement, right? Or some other, you know, social movement.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I think, you know, of course, nobody wants to be viewed as being an educated gang. Mm-hmm. And so I think that some of the things that organizations are doing in order to sort of, you know, separate themselves from that image is to, you know, really adhere to respectability politics. I told myself going into this, I wasn't going to say respectability politics, but, go you know, really like engaging with respectability politics and like policing their members about the best way to do things. Mm -hmm. um, in order to distance themselves from that image. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that it becomes difficult when that respectability politics stops them from engaging socially. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so I think that, you know, these organizations are really trying to be seen in a positive light. It's just that that has, like, serious repercussions for the Black community overall. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, even here listening to you talk, just this idea of whose community, right? So who is a member of the community? And then what happens when community members aren't, you know, adhering to whatever kind of expectations or norms, or at least actively, you know, combating against maybe negative portrayals, right? So again, this idea of whose community and, you know, for whom to what purpose as well. That also makes me think, so I know that um,
1: this might seem totally off, but it's not. So in 2014, there was a show called Sorority Sisters. I don't know if anybody ever listening will ever see or has ever seen it. It only was on for like eight weeks. Mm -hmm. So Sorority Sisters came out and it was about women and Black sororities. And it basically was, it was a reality TV show, right? And so all these Black Greek letter organizations, fraternities, sororities, everybody, got together and they're like, we need to take this show down. They, you know, wrote letters, they, you know, went and protested outside of VH1 headquarters. They got 50 advertisers to pull out of this show the show tanked it was over right Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because this happens the exact same summer that mike brown is killed by the police and then they turn around and say hey don't wear a paraphernalia protest though so -hmm. it's really super interesting the way it's like they're going about protecting their image Mm -hmm. whereas they will say get out and be active to end this show that makes us look bad Mm-hmm. but hey, that social change you're doing, that might make us look bad. So don't do it. So mm-hmm. I know it's really interesting to me, the ways that they go about, you know, protecting their image and the things that they choose to engage with in
0: order to protect that image. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm just thinking about this connection to, you know, what you talked about earlier in terms of a common good, right? And what that might mean to different people. And in this case, it even seems like the idea of a specific type of image or reputation as something that needs to be preserved as kind of like a, a in-group membership, right? Uh, or a common good for this particular community. And as we think about getting involved, you know, what does that look like when we're involved or out, you know, maybe protesting <laughs> something? Um, and is it for a social change that benefits you know, the community at large, or again, this idea of which community, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So we see people being active, but maybe in something that is a little more frivolous, maybe, than the very real social issues, social justice issues that were also happening, you know, at that same time. Yeah,
1: definitely. I mean, we see like in Atlanta during Black Lives Matter protests, um, you know, people are protesting out in the street outside Of where Alpha Kappa Alpha is hosting their boule, their international meeting, where they make the Guinness World Book of Records for serving the largest plated dinner. And it's like, it's so interesting because Mm -hmm. it's like you're making the world's largest largest plated dinner while people are protesting right outside of where you are. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's so interesting to me. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that juxtaposition, I mean, it it reminds me of, I'm sure you've seen and people who are listening have seen, you know, pictures, even, you know, within the the past several months of folks, you know, dining outside as protesters are are walking by, right? Mm -hmm. So still kind of, you know, having that fun moment or doing what, you know, matters to you um, directly while people you know, right in front of you are fighting for social change, right? And how do we, you know, how do we decide what we're going to be involved in, um, and what we think is, you know, not our community, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. So I'm wondering, as we come to a close, if you have any suggestions for folks who are listening, who maybe aren't or haven't been you know, in volunteering or familiar with volunteering, uh, but maybe who wants to be more involved in their community and in doing something for the common good? Um,
1: yeah, definitely. So first I would encourage you to volunteer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's important, especially right now, that we, you know, continue to maintain whatever form of community that we can um i think that there are all types of there are small things that you can do in your everyday life you can just help your neighbor um you can help your elderly neighbor especially um or you can do things like volunteer at a food bank um because those places still need people you can still do something um and i think that you should definitely it's just You just, again, have to, I keep saying pivot. You just, again, have to pivot, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, but I feel like it's it's extraordinarily important right now to maintain our idea of what the common good is for our
0: communities. Mm -hmm. And yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning, Aisha. We definitely enjoyed having you. Thank you. Thank you again to Aisha for joining us here this morning on Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. And today I want to leave you with this positive note. Happiness can be found in even the darkest of times, but only to those who remember to turn on the light. Y'all don't forget to turn on the lights. Thank you for joining me this morning. I look forward to having you back here with me next Saturday and every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. And remember, you can always tune in on WYXR.org and you can catch up with previous shows as well. This is Let's Grab Coffee and I'm Sana.